0: Welcome to the latest edition of Filtered Thoughts, a special episode because it doesn't really contain any of us except for about five minutes of myself. So I'm Josh Williams, and I was part of a panel discussion held by Old Bank Noma. I was invited by Andy Farrington very kindly to discuss what comes next during this coronavirus situation we all find ourselves in and you get here in this episode you'll hear all different perspectives from coffee farmers what's happening at origin down to what's happening in coffee shops what's happening with baristas and obviously the big question is what comes next um so yeah enjoy this again thank you all bank noma in manchester and andy farrington thank you enjoy
1: well to everyone, we can't, so just to explain, we can't see anyone else, but hello and welcome and good morning. Um, this is the What Comes Next talk, so we're going to be discussing sort of the future of the coffee industry and see if we can sort of answer a few questions or at least come up with a few ideas and discuss. I think the idea being that it's been a bit of a weird time for everybody. I think there's a lot of things that we're all quite scared of and we're all thinking about. What we're going to be going back to when we can go back, um, and I think it's better to discuss that and to kind of talk about it. So that's why we wanted to get everyone together. So, thank you for joining us. I'll get the panel to introduce themselves. Um, just before I do that, I should say, so we're going to be doing a Q and A afterwards. Um, so I'm going to ask a few questions first to the panel, have a little discussion, and then we'll open up to a Q and A. So if you want to, if you have any questions that come up during, or if you've got any questions that you want to ask already, if you want to pop them in the chat function. Uh, we'll go through that and we'll um, pull those up afterwards um, for the Q and A later on. Um, but yeah, so I'll hand over to you guys. Do you want to, um, How do you line up on in the screen? Are we all in the same? So I've got Hannah to my right, and then are we all different? different. Okay, I'll I'll say your name and then if you want to introduce yourself, then because otherwise we'll all talk over each other. <laughs> so do you want to go first, there, uh, Hannah?
2: Yeah, sure. Hi, I'm uh, Hannah Davis. I'm based in Manchester. I work for the SCA normally. I'm an event manager for them, but I'm on furlough at the moment. And I also uh, organise Manchester Coffee Festival with Ricardo, who looks like he's here as well, which is cool. Um, Yeah, that's me. I worked well. I worked in the coffee industry for uh, about 12 years, done a variety of different jobs. But yeah, events is my kind of focus these days. Cool.
3: Uh, Matt? Uh, hi, Matt North. Um, uh, I'm currently co owner of Falkirk Press uh, Cafe in Bristol, seven years old, um, and a uh, logistics and QC uh, manager for um, Raw Material, a green coffee company that imports, exports, and farms. Um, I'm furloughed from that job um, as we saw significant changes in March and April, uh, but currently. Doing all the miles in the world to help keep FTP open and um, deliver coffee to people. I've uh, been in the game around almost two decades, I think. I think I started in like 2000 um, at, at Nero. So, yeah, it's <laughs> been a while.
1: Cool, thanks, Matt. Uh, Laura?
4: Um, good morning, everybody. Um, I'm Laura Chamberlain. I work for Oatley in The north of the UK. I'm based in Manchester. Uh, I've been with Oakley almost two years now, uh, which has flown by. Uh, Prior to this, I've spent about eight years in coffee and hospitality. So, yeah, that's me.
1: Cool. Uh, Frida?
5: Uh, hello i'm friya from origin coffee roasters i um, I'm the head of coffee for the for the business and I'm currently on furlough as well uh well i've been in coffee for almost seven years been doing barista working a grocery QC job and now I'm the buyer for uh, origin coffee
1: and okay, so and then Ollie.
5: Hey,
6: I'm uh, Ollie. I uh, also work for Origin. I work in wholesale support for our customers in the north. And I you know quite a lot of people on here, both from a friends and from a business point of view, which is great to see. Um, and I've been working coffee similarly for about eight, nine years. Thanks,
1: man. Um, and Manny. I'm
6: Manny.
7: I have a company called 1% MicroLot Coffees and I work with Manchester Coffee Archive and also manage a cafe for uh, TAC in Manchester. I've been working in coffee for like 10 years, 11 years, something like that. Um, And yeah, I'm on furlough from work and yeah, just. uh,
1: And you just had twins.
0: And we just had twins.
1: (laughs) Uh, And Josh?
0: Hi, I'm Josh. I work at Blendflower a restaurant bakery in where Worked there about two years on off. Um I also run a podcast called Filtered Thoughts, where we just get people on, discuss things that are happening in coffee. And I've worked in coffee for seven years, I think. Eight maybe.
1: Nice. Thanks, man. Lots of experience. Nice nice to have you all with us. Thank you for taking your time. I know I've already said to you guys, but really appreciate it. Um, so to get started, um, first question. Um, I guess for me, I've been reading a lot about um, cafes and restaurants and how everyone in the hospitality industry in particular, kind of what I work in. So I've been reading a lot about that. But I know a lot of people have been asking me as well, personally, what we're seeing happening in origin and producing countries and i just wondered if anyone had a bit more information about that if we're seeing how it's playing out there or if we've got any predictions about how it might play out in the future i guess we'll come to you first matt if you don't mind That's fine. Uh, yeah. everyone can jump in on that
3: this but. feels like a question that, um frigga and i will have the most um insight into yeah. um it's probably going to be at least two or three parts so most importantly what's going to what's happening now um, and then when you look at uh, the impacts that we expect to see in the future. But also the third part about that is the system. So the shipping, um, which plays into everything. Um, the easiest part of everything is probably actually the shipping. So global logistics is um, a kind of a crazy system. So we, we we order something from Amazon, it comes to our door. And we expect, weirdly, that it leaves Amazon and goes straight to our door. If you ever look at the tracking for a lot of stuff, you can order something from say so like in Manchester, it's in a warehouse in Manchester, but it has to go to like crew to then to go to sort of like um Birmingham to then come back to Manchester because of the way routes work. So things follow set routes. It's the same in international shipping. So the boats, they follow set routes and you buy the container space on the ship on the sailing. That's how it works. These sailings have rates. What they've done as demand dropped around Chinese New Year and then continued with coronavirus is they've had what they call flank sailings. So they literally just took the boat that was due to the and went, no thanks, and moved out. So suddenly you've got somewhere around 20 to 24% less capacity in the system to ship containers. And that, what that's done is it's kept the rates low. So we've immediately seen our coffee prices and our product prices not shoot up because the shipping prices stayed the same. The issue for that will become what happens when the demand comes back because the moment the moment demand is low. So supply of containers is low. Um, so we'll, that remains to be seen how that happens. But because they're, they are in a situation where they can bring ships back in, the current feeling is that there won't be significant delays or not significantly more than we used to at this time. So we're seeing slight delays out of Central America, slight delays out of um, uh, Ports like um, in Tanzania and Dar es Salaam, but nothing out of the ordinary for this sort of period of time because the shipping companies have reacted fairly well and, fa- and fairly quickly.
1: Is it, yes? I was going to say, is there any effect with harvest land in particular?
3: So harvest is going to be an interesting one. So we've spoken to uh, our, um, all of our uh, farmers and our partners in different countries working. In every country we work in, the harvest is still happening. There is a reduction in labor force generally um, because a lot of countries will hire uh, outside labor. But without, let's say, in a good example of this being uh, Colombia. In Colombia, you see a lot of transient labor that might come up from further in South America or further north in, in Central America to come in to work there. That can't happen. So the workforce is diminished. They've also put for a long period of time, I think it ended maybe end of April, there was a ban on movement between basically cities and the rural areas. And this was just to try and protect the rural areas where there is literally no infrastructure. But they're still harvesting. They're harvesting. The most of them have my, they'll, they'll be, be um, micro milling and drying down to parchment and then storing the parchment. And the mills are still working because the mills still have parchment delivered before the lockdown to work on. So there was still some delivery going on. The problem is, of course, and what we don't know what's going to happen is we have a, we should have a supply glut but a demand specialty demand fall. So that will be an interesting one. In places like Ecuador, uh, there's there's real big travel travel problems. So the harvest is having um, real issues. Peru is coming into harvest um, and that was at the beginning. I haven't checked in on that uh, for about a week or so. But at the beginning of the harvest, they were really worried they wouldn't be able to have Actual pickers to go and harvest because you couldn't, you just couldn't travel, Um, and that was a tricky one because that meant the harvest was going to ostensibly rot on the trees and be and be ruined. Mm. So that's tough. Um, In the rest of the world, uh, Burundi they're delivering cherry, Uh, Rwanda they're delivering cherry, Uh, in Timor Leste where we work as well they're delivering cherry. So I think, as a quick aside, we've assumed. When I say we, I mean maybe like the global north has assumed that areas that we, that the global north maybe perceived as being less developed, won't be able to handle this. So we've ignored our own backyard and said, "Well, we have to make sure that it doesn't get to them." Where, where, which is, it's not giving them credit for the ability to deal with things they've probably dealt with before, especially across Africa. Africa has pandemics all the time, and they deal with it. They shut down the borders. There's like. When I last spoke to um, our manager in Burundi, there's 26 cases something or something in Burundi, and that's it. Because mm. they've locked the country down. They know how to deal with it. And they lock the country down, and people move around inside the country. So yes, they've got less capacity if there's an outbreak, but also they're more prepared, and they have more capability to take steps when they need to. So having to going ahead. The issue then becomes the future. And maybe this is a really good point for Frida. I mean, as a green buyer, it must be really hard to forecast. And most of importers weren't forecasts. So how do you forecast to buy the bulk specialty, the 82 to 83, 84 stuff, which is the bread and butter of most producers? That we convince them not to sell in internal market. How do you forecast to buy that? And how do you meet those those contracts or those buying records that you had, which you know? Will be the lifeblood of the media of the immediate future. So, I mean, how how hard is that for you? Uh,
5: it's good that you mentioned because for us, the biggest problem is inventory. Because um, origin, we buy directly uh, depends on the country, but we have direct relationship with most of the producers, like basing um, in Colombia, Brazil, um, and Peru. And um, I think you have to separate it into. Before the COVID and then post-COVID. So what happened is I'm super lucky that we already secured Nicaragua. It's already landed. We have El Salvador's landed and um, we have enough coffee for maybe the next six months or so. But we are also um, trying to cancel a lot of contracts, for example, for Brazil and Colombia because of their their um, harvest is almost started in May or started now. And um, it's really tricky for us because my prediction, I actually um, signed some future contracts since last October. And so no one would ever figure out, of just, you know, the virus thing would happen. And for us to do future contract is a sort of like insurance and a secure for the producers to make sure, okay, I'm sure now next year I'll make this much amount of money. And then I... They signed a fixed contract with us, a fixed price, so they don't have to worry about the plummet of their, the prices. And I think that's the toughest bit for me at the moment. I feel really, really emotional because, you know, this, this is out of everyone's control. No one knows exactly what is going on right now. And to be honest, it's really hard for me to project as well what is after. All we can do at the moment is to minimalize our orders at the moment. And again, this is a bit different comparing to um other roasters because our skill is way bigger and so we don't have to buy through importers, we import ourselves. So um the skills is completely different than any any other roasters. And I think um this is a, a really tough tough situation for us as well because we actually, you know, contracted and then we canceled it again. And it's something that I'm I'm just not very proud of, but I, I'm. We really need to uh, look into what. How, how can we do to um, secure more coffees? Like even Peru is uh, the the harvest also really late, so potentially we might not buy enough Peruvian coffee as well. So yeah, that's just basically I think it's based on the harvest, based on, on the the term. Like Ethiopia, I know some of the coffee has landed. Um I don't um initially there was some problem with the containers because it was all stuck in China, but now the problem is solved. But again, because our buying, we don't really buy so much coffee from um in Ethiopia, we actually buy coffee from the importers, so we don't have uh, stress for those type of smaller, micro coffee. So you're right, uh, Max, it's more about bigger quantity, 84, 83 coffees, that is our biggest uh, stress at the moment.
3: Yeah, and certainly, so as, an, as an importer, with my importer hat on, um, <laughs> we definitely saw a huge drop in March, And we've seen a small recovery in April. We're still... 60 to 50% down on where we were pre-COVID. And the best guess I can make at this is we saw all the, all the roasters who were buying and being employed in suddenly lose all of that bulk trade. So all the stuff that, that, that built our industry over the past 10 years, the 83, 84, the, the house espressos, the white label, the stuff we're putting into office groups and we're putting into um, uh, contract catering, that demand just disappeared overnight but you've got the coffee. So they've pivoted really quickly and some of them are better than others into other revenue streams selling retail and have slowly worked through that volume. And now they're picking up a little more volume, a little more spot because they're looking now at selling more filter coffee online, which is not the same coffee. So in terms of the importer, what we have in stock as spot is slowly moving. But Friday is a really good point about that six months buying forward. And I think that's when we'll see the big effects. And all the people I've spoken to in origin, that's when they that's what they're worried about. They're not now is a worry, but the real worry is what's gonna happen in six months' time.
7: Mm.
3: No? When we would when we would be expecting to buy be buying a bulk of coffee from these regions, are we going to be doing that? Will the demand be there? And if it's not there, then they're in trouble. Mm. Because they can still sell the coffee. I mean, don't get me wrong. The demand will go to the supermarkets. The demand will go to the bulk commodity. And it we sell it on the internal market, and they'll be at the whim of that pricing, which right now in Colombia is really good. It's like a 10-year high driven by other factors rather than the sea. But you get a sudden glut of people selling on that market, and, you know, it's going to be like this. So there's no security there for them. No. Playing on to that for the next harvest – if they're not guaranteed that the demand of specialty will be there, what is the benefit to them to put the extra work in for the supposed specialty bump and the specialty premium? You know? Mm. If they can have, they either get coffee or they sell it on the internal market. So one of the things I think as an industry we can do is we can almost ignore, I think... I'm really worried that we're we're getting very very myopic on high quality coffees, and people are saying we no, if it's not an 87, 88, it's not a good coffee.
7: You
3: know, the lifeblood of what people produce is 80 to 84. That's what pays their that's what pays their bills. That's what keeps them at the poverty line in some places. So we need to I think change our focus as cafes, as roasters, as importers. Are we trying to do it? But as, as, uh, as an industry to make sure that we promote this as good coffee and that's one of our core focuses because then we can keep them in what will hopefully be a better especially to supply, supply chain rather than seeing them drop out and go back on the internal market which has n- not treated them well, let's face it, over the past decade and a mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, definitely. So if it, if it's definitely not a supply, it's a demand that's going to be driving this. Then I guess for us, one of the things we can do is make sure, like you said, demand for the for the lower scoring coffees, uh, but still very good quality coffees, is there as much as we can be. So promoting home brewing, promoting people to not buy from supermarkets but buy from from better suppliers. I guess that's what we can all try and focus on.
3: Yeah, and then when you and then there'll be a there'll be interesting. Ricardo, who I know is watching, raised a had a raised a really interesting point on a Facebook message about. Uh, what will happen to the cost of goods when we open up as cafes? I know we're segwaying something really quickly, but it does have that effect. Is we need to resist the urge to race to the bottom on cost of goods. Because, yes, we're going to have to recoup money because we're going to, we, we as um, business owners, as a cafe owner, we're paying forward debt into the future to stay alive. But if we don't resist the urge to then say, you know what, I really need to pay like eight, nine pounds a bag of coffee to make the money stay open. And how much green, how much is that green costing and how much is that going down the line? We need to resist the urge to do that and be more willing to pay to charge charge what the coffee is worth and pay what it's worth. Um, That's what I think what we can do to help try and keep producers into this, what hopefully will be a better specialty buying system and be willing to do it.
5: Yeah, I think for me, the biggest, like... (laughs) Um, the emotional crisis was, I have we have committed so much coffee, and suddenly I just maybe cancel half of it. And the reason we we just it it just made me feel really upset that we're so proud of we're a you know really specialty coffee we pay extra money for uh, you know above the sea market prices. But then suddenly this happened and no one can do anything about it. And then of course, like there's, it's out of everyone's control, the producers' control, the outcome controls. But like, how can we do it better? Like, We don't have even more buying power compared to, you know, commercial coffee. They can still probably buy a feature. They don't really mind the coffee is up, um, a bit lower, lower grades or whatsoever. But we have within a certain limit to buy more coffee. You know, we, 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 that we have the quality um limits and like this is the question I've been asking almost every day because you just you just have no no you have no solution at the moment. At least at the moment right now. But yeah you, you're right. The I think the system needs to maybe re innovate it a little bit or I don't know. It's a just a question out there. That's
3: true Yeah as a as I guess maybe before we move on to other parts of the questions Andy like this is all leading to one point about it's This this specialty system has has been shown to be fragile. I mean, it's been shown to be fragile anyway, but it's been shown to be fragile like most things to a world changing event. I mean, what is fragile right now? But it also highlights something that I've I've seen on other things, and I was having a conversation with Nick. Yes, Nick, maybe you're from Assembly yesterday, and he's mentioned it a few times. I mean, like, we, we set The vast majority of what our communication is in the specialty industry is green and roasted and as a a, a cafe is we pay more for the coffee. That's what specialty is intrinsically. We pay more for the coffee and we make it in a nice cafe. We need to decouple those two things. We need to pay more for the coffee anyway, regardless of whether specialty or not. And we need to make sure that our idea of specialty comes down to a proper grading system so 80 is specialty so if you can't sell 80 at a good price and pay 80 to 80 a, a, a good price for it then you're not living up to the words that you're saying
1: yeah i definitely agree with that 100 percent. i think i think that that might be something that changes in the industry that could potentially be a good thing and something that we that has been needed to be reevaluated for a while but this has been forced our hand slightly to do that.
3: yeah I mean, what i find super interesting and super um Encouraging is there are so many I'm forty three, man, there are so many young <laughs> there are so many young free and business owners out there who are interested in this. And it will be a general I feel it'll be a generational change.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Just just before we move on to cafes then, talking about that in a little bit more detail, I'll bring in some of the other guys as well. Just a quick one. Do you think there's going to be a danger then? I know we're talking about moving away and looking towards more the lower 80 scores. Um, Manny, it might be something that you can come in with here. Do you think there's a danger that... People, um, well, in particular with importers, they won't take the risk on buying higher grade coffee, um, the, the higher score sort of comp coffees that we've been used to recently, because of the danger that they won't be able to shift it because cafes are going to be have reduced buying power, roasters will have reduced buying power as well, or demand for it, I guess, in a way. I think,
7: yeah, I think there probably will be a drop. Um, like I say, there seems to be a trend from pretty much everyone that I've heard from uh of you know people wanting to buy accessible coffee um from the from the buyer's end um as there seems to be a, a leap in the consumption of coffee from home, especially coffee from home. Um so that's one thing. The other thing is um like Matt and Frieda are saying, um what we need to be doing as an industry is supporting the revenue streams of farmers and the the bulk of that comes from uh coffees that aren't you know super super high end um they come from really good quality coffees that are sold um abroad special to buyers um and you know not within the internal market um so those those two things together um coupled with you know a massive drop in demand probably means that i think you're right unfortunately i think um we will see a drop in in um purchasing of um really really high quality coffees but to be fair they represent such a small sort of part of the of the whole system anyway. Um I'm not saying they're not important, but like you know, we've just been highlighting, um they're only one tiny aspect. Um they cater to a very, very specific market. Um so, I mean, in some ways, those small lots, I imagine, are a fairly easy to forecast in that you could probably make a few really small lots of really great coffee and find buyers for them um, and maybe reduce the, the percentage of, of, as a producer, reduce the percentage of, uh, of your crop that you uh, allocate to those sort of um lots um and you know yeah i think there will be a reduction um but it will be a reduction of a small sort of segment of the market
3: does that make sense
1: yeah it does yeah yeah totally i mean and then
3: one of the interesting things that to go alongside that is is that if you think about a lot of what the retail a lot of the retail that we're selling now we're selling a lot of interesting retail so that if we see the specialty retail sector Fall away half of what of what has gone up. We're setting significantly more home retail, probably double than we were before.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: You know, it's easily gone up two to three times. Yeah. Um. And if that happens, then the market for those interesting roasts is still there, and it will be just it will maybe help pick up some of the shops that don't and roasters that don't want to commit to those expensive coffees. So I think yeah, I think it will be a small. I think we'll see a small decrease, but not a massive amount.
1: Cool. All right. Thank you for that, guys. Um, so moving slightly on then towards uh, the cafe side of things, um, based on what's happened in the last couple of days, I'm just wondering if anyone wants to have a, have a go, clarifying uh, um, what the current rules actually are for people opening as a takeaway rule. <laughs> Good luck, well.
3: <laughs> hello, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and if you want, I looked at this yesterday. Um, we're still supposed to be shut. That's it. Yeah. That's it. I mean, that, that's that's the nuts and bones of it. If you look at the government advice, that still stands until Wednesday that was issued in April. Takeaway is for food. Cafes and canteens, of which all coffee shops fall under, are supposed to be closed. That's it. Like a takeaway.
1: So, what's the the loophole in that then that people because they haven't
3: be? mandated a legal closure. It just said, you should be shut. And by saying takeaway, you can say, oh, I do takeaway, but I do a sandwich takeaway as well. Then I can do coffee. Interesting. There's, there's, pl- there's, there's plenty of loopholes. And in, in realistically, it's a loophole that no one's going to enforce.
1: Okay. So I guess it's just down to your preference and your decision on whether you think it's safe to open and how safe you can be when you're open.
4: And obviously a lot of things
1: coming down to if you can sustain the business without being open as well. Obviously there's a lot of problems in that.
6: I was um, looking at a really, really great cafe up in um, Edinburgh called Lowdown Coffee. And um, they're you know incredible, really great cafe. Paul um, the owner is posting that he's had to reopen on a takeaway only basis because his landlord is giving him zero rate Um <clears throat> no you know he's still paying rent and I think it's just him he's got no yeah. staff and his staff are still furloughed but he's having to do it because he's got bills to pay yeah that's um, Daryl um, is doing the same thing in Glasgow as well that's the appalling situation when places are having to open um, and I think Something I'm certainly taking note of. Uh, I know a lot of my friends and family are, are looking at businesses and how they've behaved during the follow- uh, during this sort of this this period of time. Um, you know how they've treated their employees. Um, Matt, I've got to commend you for you know how I've seen staff at FCP talk about how they're being looked after and that you're topping staff uh, staff's wages up by the twenty percent, which to my knowledge is one of the few businesses doing that. So well done mate, that's sick. Um, um, but I think those people may will look at ethical uh, businesses, you know, like how they're, are they being forced to do it? Are they doing it for money? Are they doing it because they've got no other choice? Um, which I think is quite interesting to, to look at. Um, but I also think a lot of businesses are probably finding out a lot about the people they work with whether it's a supplier, whether it's a landlord, whether it's staff. So, um, like me personally, you know, it, it, how Origin have, have looked after us, you know, made sure that all this, the teamwork followed and, and, and nobody is without work and nobody's without a job. Um, you know, we've all been chatting on social media with each other, keeping in touch. Um, but I, I certainly looked at a, a few businesses and thought, do I want to support that business? going forward you know how they behaved um, and there's certainly a few more businesses that I want to openly support and a
0: few that maybe I won't be mm. it's like, yeah it's a good point it's like you were saying a minute ago how about the, the coffee shops the, the two up in Scotland how long can they go on for doing this on their own you know I mean they say in July will will money get to a point where they're gonna have to just close will money run out for them well,
1: I'm seeing businesses
6: already post things like that that are just like we're closed and we're not going to reopen.
0: It's a difficult one, isn't it? Because as much as people, I think when this all started, I think every business owner, I mean, I'm not in this category and correct me if I'm wrong, majority of people have thought, right, well, we'll try our best to top up that 20% to 100 You know, because they want to keep the staff on, they, want to, they don't want to lose the team. People work hard over these years to get a good team together and then the reality sets in after three, four weeks. And then, well, the first announcement, for instance, saying it's going to be extended. I think that's when the reality kicked in people won't be able to top up the wages. They're going to start having to, like Andy mentioned before, is looking into the liveroo or ever revenues. I mean, I know you, Matt, have been cycling all ends of Bristol to support your staff, which is great. Yeah, getting the exercise in, I suppose, isn't it? How long is this going to be sustainable for in terms of, I know it's a very difficult question to answer because we're saying, when I spoke to Chris Zafirio from Pizza shop, he's saying they're looking at September, October in America. So what are we looking at realistically here?
1: Yeah, well, I guess that's it, isn't it? We we definitely have have no answers to that, unfortunately, like in terms of, of, of playing yeah. it out. I mean, because it, 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 it can go either way. I was thinking yesterday, just if, if we do end up with certain places certain places in the country closing back down again, and how's that, how's that going to affect business in terms of some cafes being open and others not? If you're spread out across, if you've got multiple locations across different cities, how do you stay open at one and not the other? There's, there's going to be a lot of things that I guess we can't, you can't even really think about it until until they happen. I, I guess for yeah. the for the purposes of this sorry Matt, just to, like, the purposes of this, I don't want to get too bogged down into what's going on currently and more trying to look at like what we think it might look like whenever this does come to an end in a couple of weeks, a couple of months, whenever we can start opening again. Yeah. And I'm wondering if for you guys with your experience of um Matt, I don't know if have you guys set up an online shop to, to yeah,
3: start. Yeah, we did we um um, um that first week, so like the twentieth of March, we we're like, well, sales are going down. Might, we should probably help. You know, we're getting we were getting messages saying, can we get some takeaway, some retail off you? And we're like, okay, well, I'll start riding you around. So we smashed together a quick Shopify shop and said, look, we'll deliver five days a week anywhere within the boundaries of Bristol. And that started off as being like the first eight postcodes, and now it's like anywhere within Bristol we'll we'll, we'll ride to to get it to you. Um, and it just took off from there, and it it, it helped us get rid of um, our stock that we had. And now we're we're buying in, we're supporting small roasteries and buying into interesting stuff in Europe to deliberately for retail. So our retail, we're currently doing sixty percent of our pre-COVID money.
0: Would you have, would you have done a web store before all this has happened? Will you continue this on? Yes. When we're back in normality, yeah. Yes. Because
3: there are significant, whether you agree with the fear or anxiety or not, there is a a significant amount of people who will not want to go out. Mm. They will want to stay for what feels safe for them. So I expect the delivery runs to drop. I expect our retail to drop away by a bit and still remain higher than it was previously. Um, I mean, we're currently at four times what we were selling a week. Uh, I expect to go to, to have to go to like the double what we're selling a week. Um, because people will start to come into the shop again a little bit when we can open. So, yeah, we'll, we'll carry on um, and I will continue to do all the miles.
1: So do you think that's something then that could be a recommendation for people who are either looking to go back into the shops who haven't done this already or are looking to open new cafes or something like that? Would you say... For me, I think it has to be a prerequisite now. It's like it's a thing that Any, everyone has anything. to do. Anything. You've got to
3: do anything you can as a business. And this was the driver for me. And we, and like Ollie, when you were saying about people, people, people having to open to support their staff and to support their, um, to keep the business. If I, don't, if I don't do this to keep the business viable, my staff will have to be um, made redundant and they'll go onto an employment line. Mm. so I do this to keep them in a job the other side of that is that I'm, I'm I, feel, I feel good about being able to keep people in coffee so they like buying coffee basically so like I'm providing a service for them by delivering coffee to their door when they don't want to leave the house that's good they feel likewise feel good about supporting us as a cafe that they know and like they could get this coffee cheaper elsewhere 100% so if you have the brand and you have uh, a cafe that has a loyal customer base, they will buy from you. I was just about to use that exact phrase. Like brand loyalty is is massive. Um, I had a
6: friend a few years ago who used to work for Selfridges, and um, she said you know people would come to Selfridges for the yellow bag because they wanted to be part of that brand, um, regardless of the price, you know, um, you could walk a street further down, pick it up from the place that sell it, but you wouldn't get the yellow bag. So I think um, a lot of like marketing advice would probably be quite useful for a lot of cafes right now, like how to position themselves. Do they want to come across as the, um, like Josh was saying, like the family business. Um, I know, as you mentioned, Phil and Clara, um, I mean, they gave me my first opportunity in specialty coffee. They will uh, always have like a place for me in my journey. And so I would always support what they do. Um, and I think a lot of the businesses that I'm seeing that are reopening or they're doing takeaway or they're doing whatever, a lot of them are actually doing quite well with it because of the brand loyalty. Um, you know, the, the, often the quality is very good because they were good at what they did before they started. Um, and there's, uh, you know, I, I, I tried to share a lot of things between my friends there's a, there's a place in LA called Squirrel. Um, and. Yeah. Um, the stuff they've done is incredible like it's some really interesting stuff and they're trying to like go um, I think Matt you might have even shared it she did like a little kind of uh, Jessica I can't pronounce her surname that's just terrible but um, she did like a bit of a speech about how restaurants are the first people to to diversify and, and adapt and change and I think that's at every level when you're talking about the supply chain and 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 how we're doing it there every level of the, the coffee community just needs to diversify and, and, and be flexible and look at, you know, it's not about 90 point coffees for everybody, but it's also not about 82 point coffees for everybody. We've just, we've just got to find what's to paraphrase another person. What the goal, you know, like is your, is your business model to sell a lot of something or to sell a few amounts of something very good in a very ethical and social way. So I think, we just have to be flexible. But um, what I've seen quite just, just people are, are very loyal. Um, I mean, again, someone um, should probably uh, speak about brand loyalty more than anyone is Laura at Oatly. Like Oatly have developed this kind of cult basis and, uh, and our support you're seeing a lot of these businesses are even from like, um, this is a, well, how would you call it? A complimentary product to coffee they're supporting the industry so like Laura have you seen much going on with people wanting to you know order through cafes or or pick up your products through them?
4: Oh definitely um I mean yeah I've had an influx of people asking where the hell can I get my Oatly and luckily um you know all of us at Oatly have continued to work none of us Mm -hmm. have been furloughed it's been amazing and Every day, me and my colleagues have a call to discuss, you know, what are we doing? How can we help everybody? And to see shops just adapt like overnight, uh, turn into one-stop shops selling, you know, oatly, bread, essentials, it's been incredible. And we'll continue to support the industry that we love in the best way that we can. Um, However, that will take shape, I don't know, but...
6: I think that diversification is exactly exactly where we need to be you know I think there's in, in specialty there's a lot of people hold things close to their chest like they don't share ideas they don't they don't talk about things that are successful um they they don't tend to share things that haven't worked and I think that for me has always been something If I'm, you know, my job, I'll travel place to place, visit different customers, um, meet up with friends, and I'll be like, oh, I was here yesterday, and they're they're trying this, and this is rad. That saved them loads of money. Or they did this, and it didn't work. You know, maybe don't do that. And I think, if anything, if we can just maybe work on sharing those ideas and and sharing, you know, interesting ways that we can move forward um, and also sharing ideas when it's not working, then the more of us that are doing well, the better shot we've got at all of us surviving
5: this. Mm, can, I, can I talk a little bit, even though I don't really um, focus on cafe, but um, mm. I personally feel at the moment this is really crucial because now everything is on hold, but it's actually, there's a little change, but not a drastic change. But I personally feel after the lockdown, it would be a super big change in terms of, um, the market will definitely shape, which is mean potentially some smaller cafes might just disappear. Um, some bigger brands will continually getting bigger or maybe they'll disappear because based on their cash influence or um, in cash flow or whatever. And uh, potentially I feel, I personally feel the market will keep growing, but I feel the cafes and suppliers might potentially shrink for a little bit, a little bit, and potentially, I'm just looking forward because I've been thinking about what's gonna happen, what's gonna happen, and if that, like, just all happened in my head for the past few weeks. And potentially, job would be less and less. And then I think that's something that we need to really, really address and focus on right now because um, they they will be a big change. But I'm just you know, I'm just putting it out there because I feel uh, we need to really be prepared with what potentially might happen. And you don't have to, you know, p- prepare 100%, but just be aware of, oh, okay, we have to be alert with what's coming next.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think, I think thinking things will go back to the way they were is is going to be the danger. You're just waiting for a period of time we can go back and then expect things to be the same, because they definitely won't be. I think it will be, it's going to be a difficult transition. But I think one of the things that's been really interesting for me has been noticing, um uh, like collaborations between delivery services and things like that. I was on a call with the guys from Cloudwater who are a Manchester-based brewery. They've been delivering with local restaurants uh, for free, or I think they've been taking maybe 5%, and they've been delivering with their beer deliveries like food that the restaurants have been preparing and doing other things. And I think having that collaboration across all of hospitality is something that's going to be really key as well, um, bringing in loads of different groups. Because in speciality, we do obviously collaborate quite a lot, but I think it's going to be something that we see an increased demand for and especially with restaurants remaining closed probably for longer than cafes will be, I imagine. So um I think it's gonna be interesting to see how that develops in the future.
0: Yeah, we're sort of waiting basically. On our- basically.
1: Oh gone, sorry. Uh, do you want to we're go first Josh and then we'll go to Manny.
0: Yeah, that you said about the restaurants take as long as to reopen. Um, we're well we're, we're kind of hoping I that- the next announcement in July well if we are opening in July or hopefully beforehand that it's going to be within social distancing so we're going to have to remove half our covers in the restaurant anyway we we think and then it's going to be a very slow progress up to the new year because it's not going to end before the social distancing rule is going to be put in place for a little bit
1: Money? did you have anything to add to that sorry, sorry
0: um, no I think
7: um, basically what what we're gonna see is that there is a paradigm shift in how how customers interact with our coffee businesses. Um and that'll depend on, on each business. Um basically the ones that will flourish and will succeed are the ones that will find ways of adapting to to that situation and you know like we said, um collaboration and stuff like that and just finding finding new avenues, finding new revenue streams, finding new um focuses, um Changing our offerings, um, changing our, you know, approaches to service, um, you know, like Matt's doing, having having online revenue, um, and just basically everyone needs to find ways that their business will adapt and that their business will continue to flourish. Um, And I think, you know, if you're, yeah. It, it things need to change. Um like I say if if we just continue to to expect the same sort of patterns of behavior from, from customers and the same sort of demand and the same um we continue to do the same thing. Um, I think the businesses that do that will will be a massive disadvantage and will be at risk essentially. Um, and like I say the ones that flourish will be will be the ones that find you know, new supply chains, new ways of interacting with with their, you know, with their communities essentially, Um, and and being able to offer, um, yeah, a lot of flexibility, I think.
1: Yeah, definitely agree with that. Um, I'm just conscious of time. I was going to ask one more question around cafes, but I think I'm just going to move... Swiftly on, if everyone doesn't mind, it's just to probably something for you, Hannah, to pick up on. Um, I noticed that SCA did the expo uh, weekend. Um, I don't know if any any of you guys joined on that. Um, from from everything I've read around it, it seems to be a really big success. So a lot of people, I think uh, most of their things are sold out on the, on the panel thing. Um, I'm just wondering if you think that's something we can look into in the future, whether you think that's something that will be adapted even when we can go back to meeting in groups because that it makes it so much more accessible for people. It means that people don't have to fly to Portland, for example, in this case, but I know in the UK, it's quite a long way to go a lot of the times. And for people who can't afford the tickets Mm -hmm. uh, because it's reduced prices, obviously, just wondering what your thoughts on that really?
2: Yeah, I mean, events like the rest of the industry has kind of demonstrated how like creative and innovative we can be in the coffee industry. And like almost immediately, as soon as we started to see these challenges with the um, virus, people were putting events online and people, I mean, we had to react quickly, especially with these larger events like Expo and World of Coffee um, because of the kind of financial impact of that. So, yeah, it's been great to see that. And I think there are loads of positives to having these, Uh, Events online, like you say, um, it's more accessible price-wise. Also, kind of like for people with mobility issues or you know any issues in actually physically attending an event, it does make it much more accessible. And as an event organizer as well, it makes it um, it broadens your audience range. You know, you get a much more like a better opportunity to reach a more diverse audience. I think is like another huge positive, which could help us sort of keep these on, events online into the future. And then, of course, like, the carbon footprint of applying flying to an event, but also putting on events, they have, like, a massive carbon footprint. There's just so much waste in the event industry. It's something that I really struggle with as an event organiser. Um, but, of course, there's, like, so many things that you miss out on when you're not physically at an event. Like, one of the things that you just that well after having put on a lot of events we always do a little feedback survey at the end and like one of the things that people always say they get from the event above kind of like learning and content and professional development is like the networking opportunities and the friends that you make at those events and that's something that um you probably can replicate a little bit online but not really um you know not if you're going to spend four days at like you know a kind of conference style event with the same group of people those friendships and um the opportunities that you get you just i don't think you'll be able to get that online so that's something big that you would miss out on if we continue to see everything online so i think we will see events online um because we've learned a lot already in just a short period um about how to do it and that, and we'll, we'll you know we'll still be doing that over the summer i'm going to get a lot better at doing online so i think they will continue but i think that in the future what I would definitely like to see you know us coming back to doing kind of uh, together and also one thing that we cannot do online is competition and competition is such a huge part of our industry Um, and it's a big part of coffee events as well Um, if we can't do that then um, well that would be just a real shame so I think that is something that will bring you know in-person events back Um, is. Is competition um, and it yeah. might not be for another year yet, but um, definitely something that we need as an industry. You know, it's something that drives our industry along and um, yeah, just keeps it getting better and better. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, I don't know, Matt might have something to say on that with him his connection to a, the competition
3: in the UK. Oh, um, 100% on the competition. I I was in Denmark judging their and Brose Cup when they got their first two or three cases. And you could already see everyone suddenly going, well, what does this mean? Can we go home? And, yeah. and then we had, I was due to judge in Germany and Germany got cancelled. Mm-hmm. Um, and the people I've met through that have been business connections and friends for life a lot. So, it, yeah, it's an incredibly important thing. One thing I found from the, um, uh, the Expo weekend is it, it's actually, like, actually really hard to watch time zone-wise. Yeah. Fortunately everything fell at um, bedtime. It fell at, like feed the kids, bath them, and get them get get, get them in bed. Um, so I hope as we learn to do this better and anything like this, So recording this and sharing it is going to be great for the people who can't make it now. Exactly. It's the same with all the expo things. I hope that they're a little quicker about getting them online, and then if they do them again, they just just then schedule replays. So if you miss it at 4 GMT, you can watch it at 12 GMT or you can watch it at 4 the next morning. You can use schedules with me so you can catch up quite quickly to be super interesting.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty sure they will release all of that content. 100%. Like you say, that's a cool idea to kind of do it within the, the next best opportunity of the time zone. Um, yeah. I think one other thing I was just thinking that we miss out on and uh, physical events as well is... Um, for the SCA or any organization that's putting on events, it's kind of the opportunity for revenue, um, to keep, you know, some of your other business going, um, whether that's through ticket sales or, um, sponsorship, um, you do miss out on that a lot for online. I mean, obviously you can get like, your podcast sponsored or, you know, your, your webinar sponsored, but it's just, I don't think it's quite the same level, um, And people really expect this kind of content for free. It's hard to kind of charge for something like this, you know, or Mm -hmm. maybe like a talk. Maybe people would be willing to pay for like, you know, high level educational content or something like that, you know, if you were doing a course. But um, I think in the majority, people expect this kind of online content for free. So that's another big kind of downside of it is what you miss out on that revenue stream. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I think um, Barista Hustle did, um, the, you could upload your video of, to pass your uh, exam rather than going to a teacher. Um, wow. I think they were trialing that, which is quite a cool idea. Like you had to set up your camera and then you did like a little test and stuff. But I think they were even charging less for that, obviously because there's no practical teacher to do so. But then, like you said, it's like, well, how does that make anyone any money? Really, like really, all the trainers who are qualified to do so, it has to be a short-term solution, really. I think, to do that.
2: Um
1: Cool. Oh, all right. Thank you, Hannah. Cheers, up for that. Um, I think we'll jump on to questions, if everyone's okay. Does anyone need a of minute to or are we all good to get go straight in? Cool. All right. Well, firstly, then, um, Ryan posed a question, I think, first, just saying, um, what's the viability of opening a cafe in the next couple of months, does everyone think? I don't know anyone can come in on that.
6: I think it's really getting it right. Um, You're basically, so a lot of places are having to adapt. So they're looking at their model now and they're going, right, well, this is my forecast. This is what I'm expecting to do. Um, And now I need to completely change all that because the systems that we have in place for, uh, as Josh was saying, a cafe that has X many covers and does this, that and the other, um, that's just not going to be practical. So I think, Making sure that when you open the doors, um, you're really aware of all the, the logistics and all the rules that are in place now, and then also how you're going to have to move with that. And I mean, I've, I've I've been doing this job for nearly five years, so I've, I've met a lot of people who are opening cafes for the first time, and some people just get it so right, and it's unbelievable. You know, they start, and within a week they're doing almost the volume that they're going to dig for the rest of the year. It's incredible. And then you see other places that are still evolving six to seven months in. They're changing their equipment. They're changing the service style. So I think it's, it's really maybe speak to people that are already operating and really look for clear advice, not necessarily advice from one stream. So like I could tell them one thing, but if they spoke to three other people, they might get conflicting opinions. Just making sure that you're aware of really the, the, the road you're going down to start with. Um, an interesting article that I saw yesterday, I saw Matt and a couple of his colleagues commenting on is that places like Starbucks are due to reopen in the next couple of weeks. And people, as much as I was sort of semi horrified by that, because they're going to be ahead of the specialty industry. yeah, you know, people are excited. People are excited for a, 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 a slight bit of normality of going out for a cup of coffee. So, I wouldn't be worried of your audience yes it's not going to be as much as what you wanted when you probably open the doors you might not have that grand reveal but i certainly think that if you're really smart about it and you you approach with really good due diligence that um there is every reason that you might have a slower start but you 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 will still
3: be able to have that impact in one thing that i've definitely um um, been thinking about um, with reopening FCP, I don't know, Manny and Josh, um, with you guys um, working behind the bar and as well, how you feel about it. It's like the bar model that we have in the vast majority of our shops is probably isn't well suited to dealing with the post COVID, the immediate post COVID era in that it revolves around personal contact. It revolves around um, close spacing. And it revolves, uh, it revolves around um, maximizing the amount of tables in a place. Um, so what, one thing Ollie is saying, like people are really looking at um, uh, what's working is we have a chance now for people who are going to open um, to really reimagine how we view a specialty cafe. Because they're all the same intrinsically. Now, we all come from the same playbook. So how can we reimagine how we do service? How can we reimagine the, how we set up a bar in a way that is physically and emotionally welcoming, as well as being welcoming as a customer? So we have to make them feel physically like they want to come in and be in that space. So I'm, I'm not opening until I've redone my shot, because I, I can guarantee 50 to 60% of people who would come in will not be physically welcome in that space because of the shape of it. And that ties into the emotional way. Can can you provide a space that makes them want to come in and feel secure coming in emotionally as well as physically? Um, and then you can work on service and everything else after that. So there's a, real, there's a real opportunity here for people who are reopening or opening new cafes to change how we view the specialty cafe bar. Yeah,
7: I think you can definitely, definitely reimagine how the space is used, and, and we will need to. Um, and I think one of the one of the major things that will happen as new bars open um, or some new cafes open, new coffee shops, is that just having a, a physical bar um, will become almost irrelevant um, because <laughs> you can't social distance behind a bar that has a meter space between it and the wall. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So I don't know making making spaces that are um, modular and you know that can be separated so you separate the till from you know from the espresso machine and separate that from you know the various sort of things that you need displays stuff like that in a cafe um, and I, I've i not really thought about it in the context of, of now of uh, social distancing and, and uh, this pandemic and stuff but definitely you know I've had in the back of my mind for a long time that it, to make really welcoming spaces, um, it's, it could be very, very good to um, yeah to work with with modular modular bars essentially that can be dismantled and um, that can be placed in different different areas within the space um, and sort of you know with each section representing its own uh, functionality. Um, and yeah, I've do know, sort of thought about having bars that are like, um, you know, four blocks with a, a cross in between, and you can move around, um, in between the blocks or from the outside of the blocks and access all the gear and stuff that is sort of housed on and within them. Um, and yeah, having them, you know, on wheels and having the modular that you know, you can use them as needed, uh, stuff like that. Um. And I think you're completely right about having to sort of reassess how we how we model the interiors of 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 coffee spaces, essentially, um, to accommodate um our customers, to accommodate our staff, um, everyone who's involved, and unfortunately probably rely less on um sort of fast turnover of of tables and stuff like that. Um mm. You know, I think for a lot of people it will work very well just to have sort of very accommodating spaces. and um, you know, for others it'll be the complete opposite. Um, I suppose it just depends on business, but it's definitely worth reevaluating how we do things in, in terms of that, in terms of the sort of physical experience of, of being in a bar, um,
6: or in a in a cafe I should say. Yeah. From a like, point of reference, when I'm doing, I mean, I, we're not really supposed to kind of advise on bar layout and things in, in my particular role. But for like an average cafe doing 200, 250 coffees a day, let's say, like not super busy, but not quiet. Um, I advise like a meter for service and maybe a little bit of, you know, uh, grab and go stuff and around a meter to a meter and a half for Um, you know, espresso machine, all your bits bits and pieces and your electronics and what have you. So realistically, you go into certain bars like Manny's the attack at Uni Green where you're based like, I absolutely love the bar layout in there and when I've come in and had a a coffee with you, like I tend to sit at the bar pretty much where most coffee people would go sit. Like, I wonder whether or not many places are open with brew bars with, you know, giving away six six meters or Mm -hmm. so of counter for it to look amazing but for that space could be used for diner space now which is then going to be maybe a bit more spaced out so I think you're right like you might end up seeing much more compact bars maybe even bars moving into I've heard some places talk about having wet areas like in a in a restaurant where they'll kind of have things behind closed doors almost and it will be almost like a restaurant experience yeah. I think there will be a lot of change um, but you know, create being creative in this scenario doesn't have to be a negative scenario, it doesn't have to go, Oh, well, we're limited, we should oh, well, we're having to do this. You can be like, right, how interesting can I make this? Yeah. Bonanza coffee in, in Berlin is probably a fantastic example. Their space is enormous. They could have an enormous bar with a load of kit on it. Um, but it is as um Manny was saying before, it's modular and it's super interesting. And the coffee experience I had in there when I went a few years ago was incredible. So you can still you can be inventive while still doing a high-quality product, I think.
1: Yes, yeah. get creative. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm just going to move quickly on from that, if you don't, guys don't mind, just because we've got quite a few questions come through. I'm um, just going to move on from Matt. Uh, interested to hear about the planning and buying green coffees from Matt and Frieda. What are the current ways um, or practices that farmers can forecast demand for their coffee from buyers, roasters? So, how can they create, a, understand what the demand might be? I guess uh, from buyers uh, for their coffee.
5: Um, I don't think they can control it because, you know, again, the harvest came depends on the weather, depends on a micro uh, microclimate. So, in the end the the, um, the supply will always be there, and then it is for us i mean actually, it should be for exporters and importers to really, really regu- regulate this um because I personally think it's really hard for them to really, really project because i we we as cap ca- roasters um importers, we can't even at the moment project what's what 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 other percentage that we're using. What do you think, Matt?
3: No, I think think you're 100% right. I mean, um, Matthew, it's a really interesting question. Um, It probably applies more to the larger farms. The larger farms who are, say, consistently sold out and are able to experiment and do honey lots or do anaerobic lots, because they'll do a lot of those lots to order. The general smallholder, say, the smallholders in Burundi that we deal with, the smallholders in um, El Carmen in Colombia, um, they 're just growing what they can to survive, so they their worry is will we still buy from them because they 're worried because they want us to buy as much as we possibly can, not like how much because they 're going to grow what they can grow because they' are trying to survive and grow subsist- subsistence so they're not they 're not forecasting the, the the general and that's the that's a lot of the production is going to be these small smallholders the bigger thinkers, the bigger presenters these guys yeah they'll be they'll probably have some kind of system for doing it. I don't know what it is because I don't deal with them too much but i'd imagine um they'll be they'll be having a lot of conversations with the people who have already lined up to buy for the next year but I know of um a farmer in Chiapas in Mexico every year it's sold like you literally you, you can't buy anything you only buying something off him if some, if something if something drops out so I imagine he's been having conversations with his contracted buyers for the next year to see whether the demand is still there.
5: I think eventually it's yeah the question should be how much coffee specialty coffee would take and then how much coffee will uh, ship it to commercial instead of uh, specialty coffee and I think the percentage will will be really really big and yeah they will definitely um, have some losses for for having selling a bigger margin from specialty coffee.
6: Can I throw a weird sub-question in there that is probably good for Matt and Freda? but I'm sure you both follow or are aware of George Howell in and, and the States and how they've, they've been, I can't remember how long it's been, like four or five years, they've been freezing green coffee. Like um, Yeah, it's quite a long time now, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but they've been doing vintages and really, really championing that idea which is something I think is really cool, super interesting. And I think from a consumer point of view, Something we never talk about in coffee because of uh, you know aging and, and actually it being a negative point of view. But one thing I thought of from and, and like I'm in the completely wrong position to have an, an impact on is whether or not this is a, an argument for that situation where if we had the right facilities to still be purchasing even 50% of what we were supposed to be buying and creating these vintage solutions or being able to hold green coffee. In good condition for longer. Um, I think we'll have further, but just whether or not it's an opportunity to celebrate those ideas in the future. I don't know if that's a, a thing.
5: For well, as a as a coffee buyer, as a head of coffee, for, you know,
4: I'm um, yeah. I'll <laughs> eat. Um, so
5: I plan the menu. Yes, of course. Um, I would love to do something so special, you know, And but you have to look into frozen need to acquire a lot of power. And this is a lot of quantity we're talking about. We can talk about plenty of plenties of containers, which you take a lot of space and a lot of emissions to froze that, freeze that coffee. And then after that, you have more supplies. So it, that means you, you will have a lot of backlogs. In, in in the inventory and eventually I think this would only work for amazing geisha from this esteemed um, uh, producers but I think it will be really really hard to mass produce even though yes there is um, potential it sounds really really uh, ideologic but again um, in a massive producing um, production it's going to be really really hard to
2: produce
3: yeah, I mean, for two like two super quick things on that. Um, A, yeah, we don't have the supply chain exists, but at each end of the supply chain, the facilities aren't there, and it's expensive to do. So that the roasteries don't have facilities to freeze coffee on site and then use it, um, and the most of the importers exporters don't have facilities to freeze coffee before they before they ship it. Refrigerated and frozen shipping exists. That's fine. It's just an extra cost on your shipping. Mm. Um, Aside to that, two issues, um, green coffee um, apparently acts like Dorian Gray when you um, unfreeze it. So you have to, like, it's fine, it stores it well, but the minute you defrost it, it ages like a, it's Mm. untrue. I've heard that from several good sources, that you have to use it so fast. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's also quite similar in roasted coffee. So it'll be, there's, imagine if we shifted some of, the value chain back to origin, and I know Matt Pegg was talking about this a little while ago. That if they roasted there and you shipped frozen coffee from origin to then use here, it's a great idea. But again, we hit the same problems. We hit the problems of like the supply chain exists, the capacity and the and the will for holding at each end doesn't at the moment.
7: I think um, the the idea with freezing is is more than anything is problem the scale, like yeah. like you two have just said. Um, it could be done on a really small scale, and you could increase the value of, of certain lots of coffee over time, um, in the way that you know we do with 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 wine, with whiskey, with all of these things. You know, have have vintages. Um, but it is is probably only logistically possible for most people on a on a really small scale. Uh, when we're talking about you know containers and the sort of global uh, trading in Greek like specialty green coffee, it's just way too much. Mm-hmm. um then yeah it, with 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 small amounts it's really interesting um I've actually got a small amount of coffee in the freezer that I'm going to release uh, next year um and basically it's going to be a, a vintage of, of a previously released coffee and um, stuff like that and I think we will see people start to do it like sub zero coffee and then you know in Think like Melbourne, people like that. Um, you know what we're sort of exploring with Manchester Coffee Archive sort of ties into that quite nicely. Um, and yeah, I think it would be an option that is available to some people, um, but it'd be incredibly difficult to implement on a on a sort of large scale um, across the industry, um, and for it to have a, a genuine impact at scale. Uh, that's what you need to do. You could have uh, an impact on, on individuals, people's businesses, individuals, people's ideas um, doing that. Um, but yeah, there's definitely some some big challenges there mm. to do it at a scale.
1: Just going to jump in. I think we've got – Jess, we've got time for one more? Yeah, cool. All right, last one then. Um, so uh, Kun Sang has got in touch and just said uh, – it's basically a percentage, larger percentage of people going to be working from home, which is obviously the case now. But I think moving into the future, like you touched on before, Matt, I think we will just see more and more people working from home in general. Um, you're just saying that uh, roasteries already have a safer margin than cafes, and maybe maybe the disparity in that will be pushed a little bit further. I guess my, my question added to that. So do we think that that's something we're going to see? So we're going to see more and more people working from home. But um, do you think more cafes will start to look at roasting their own coffee as well. If they're using an online e-commerce store, for example, and that seems to be doing re- really well and is keeping them, keeping a good percentage of their, um, the profits is coming through that revenue. Do you think they will cut out the middleman with the roastery and start looking at ways that they can roast on their own?
6: I think if I had a cafe that was open now, I wouldn't be investing any serious money in anything that could potentially not work very well. Mm. Like unless you've got that in your, in your books and this is always a plan, Um, For me, I think you'll see the the kind of the answer to that question from a margin point of view would be you might see people move away from multi-roasting cafes or multi-roaster cafes where the margin is a little tougher because they're buying smaller volumes from various cafes at various roasters. Um, Sorry, not looking at you, Matt. Um, (laughs) um, The... There is an, you know, an unspoken un, sort of rule that if you you are working with one supplier, you may get preferential prices on stuff depending on the volume you purchase, and I think you may just see more more cafes looking more at their bank balance and going, okay, what? Yes, we'd love to work with X or Y, but the reality is, if we work with this place, we can achieve a better price per per bag per kilo um, per cup. So, rather than taking on you know 40,000 pounds of investment of roaster equipment and, and staff and adding to what is already a very busy market, i uh, more likely to see people building stronger relationships with potentially even larger companies as well who've got a little bit more uh, wiggle room with pricing or can be a little bit more accessible to them. I
0: agree completely with Ollie. I mean, time, uh, given where we are now, I don't think any place is going to be able to just get money to start a roastery, they've got to be thinking other ways first.
7: Like,
0: like Ollie just said again, you can't, it's too, it's an already broad market, There's quite a lot of roasters out there already and if you're going to start your own roastery, where are you going to get that money from right now to buy a roastery and then start doing it and then it'll take a while to get that money back especially with the uncertainty we're going to be facing over the next six to 12 or even 18 months potentially, it's going to be, it's going to be very difficult. Um, but back to working from home, I do think a lot of people will, who can, will be working from home. It'll be difficult to do it through, like obviously me personally as a Brewster, um, but people who can wholesale people potentially, but they always need to get out and about, say hello. So it's it's difficult, but ever businesses who can work from home. I mean, I know Amazon. It's it's a different scale, but in Seattle, they've told all their employees to work who can work from home until at least September the second. So I think that's potentially what we're going to see. There's a lot more people at home.
1: Mm. Interesting. Um, and that, uh, can, I, can yeah. I just jump in here?
7: Just okay, experience. On. Um. So I I'm a distributor for a brand of um. Uh, shop roasters and And what we've seen in the past few weeks um, since lockdown started is that there's been a massive spike in inquiries Um, so it's definitely a a thing that a lot of people are considering it's definitely not for everyone Um, you know (laughs) it's definitely not for everyone but I think the people it can work for it can work really really well for um, and sort of strengthen their business long term Um, and you know whether or not um, people should do it there's definitely an increasing interest in it
1: because mm. i guess yeah the guys are just talking to me in the chat there i don't know if you can see about doing slot roasting as well so you can just rent a roaster um from from a roastery already yeah. do your own sort of maybe half a day roasting for your house um espresso or something like that yeah
7: that's
1: also maybe something that people might so
7: that's that's also a facility that i offer and. We've also seen increased numbers of inquiries about that.
0: Interesting.
7: Yeah. Nice. So people are essentially looking at, at, at slightly different ways of working. Mm. Um, and, yeah, and there are there's some of them. Um, and, yeah, anything that, anything that uh, increases flexibility for a lot of people.
1: Yeah, that's the thing were talking about.
7: Yeah. Flexibility does diversification um, and sort of consolidating uh, – you know, their own brand and their own, their own product, um, and yeah, their own approach to that product is, is going to be key for a lot of people. Um, but yeah, it's, it's interesting that those two things, um, have actually seen a, a considerable, sp- considerable spike in, you know, the last five weeks.
1: Mm-hmm nice one alright well thank you guys I think that's probably it for questions but thank you for everyone for, for tuning in and thank you you guys for, for being here and giving your time really appreciate it we'll, uh, I hopefully we'll be able to meet in person sometime soon yeah. <laughs> in the future stay safe everybody uh, yeah, sure. yeah, like uh, can't wait cheers everyone well,
0: bye everyone take care cheers well, guys, I'm hoping you enjoyed the episode. Like I said, we hear a lot of people and it was very uh, very insightful, especially from Matt and Frader, who obviously work what at Origin with warm, with warm materials and Frader being the coffee buyer for Origin Coffee. So to hear their thoughts and things going on very interesting. Um, I really hope you enjoyed the episode and hopefully everyone's staying home, stay safe and yeah, save the NHS. Well, if you're in England, stay alert. Enjoy, guys. Goodbye.